0: Hello. Today's conversation is with an old friend of mine, Eric Giblew, who is a classical guitarist and music educator and member of the guitar trio, Trio Ghidorah. Eric and I met back at the University of Wisconsin-Madison when I was working on my bachelor's in music composition and he was working on his master's in classical guitar and music theory. And we have a pretty far-reaching conversation that gets into a lot of territory. We talk about maintaining a musical career during the pandemic, music and academia, and what its purpose is. We talk about community. And we talk about his guitar trio, Trio Ghidorah, who has a new album out, just released this month. The album is available to stream wherever you listen to your music. It is called Dances and Fantasies. And it is also available to purchase on CD, so if you like physical copies of music, you should order a copy of the CD. But before we get to all that, please remember to like, leave a comment, and subscribe to my channel, and if you would like to consider supporting my content generally, please visit my Patreon page. Welcome to Music in Mind, Music and Mind, with Anthony Hello. Hey everybody, this is this is my friend Eric Gibble. He is a classical guitarist and a member of the trio Ghidorah. And they are coming out with a new album in a few days here. And uh yeah, Eric and I met back at the University of Wisconsin-Madison when I was an undergrad, and Eric was working on your master's, right? I was, yeah. I was doing Kind of two
1: masters at the same time back at uh, UW Madison, and that was one in guitar and one in music theory. So okay. we met on the guitar side of things.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were both we were both taking lessons with Javier Calderon, and we sure uh, we're <laughs> playing in guitar ensemble.
1: Yep, yep, with Eric Anderson and oh man, a slew of other people. I think yeah.
0: those were good days.
1: <laughs> they were fun. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I. I know less about your your theory work at, mm-hmm. at UW. What what was your focus, or uh, at, in the master's level, do you have to write a thesis there?
1: You do you do. They call the master's paper okay at Madison at UW Madison. Um, so not as intense, obviously, as a dissertation. Um, and what they like you to do at the master's level is write basically two big term papers Mm. um so those are your master's papers they're kind of beefed up term papers that are supposed to be paired with uh theory seminars that you do so for me one of them was a Shankarian analysis paper because I was, uh, well, two reasons. One is I was taking a seminar on Shankarian analysis with Dr. Brian Heyer. Mm-hmm. And then the other reason is Brian was my advisor. So oh, great. Um, those kind of went together pretty well. So that was a Shankarian analysis of a, um, of a Bach prelude in G minor from the well-tempered clavier. Oh, not, <laughs> not the that. C. <laughs>
0: It'd What's be amazing that? if you did, if you did your own Shankarian analysis of the first, the C major prelude, oh. <laughs> the one with the classic Shankarian. <laughs> right,
1: right. The one that's been done a million times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other paper was a post-tonal analysis paper. Mm. And I wrote that with Professor John Schaefer, um, ah, okay, cool. And um, yeah, I'm not actually sure if he's still teaching at Madison. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, I wrote my paper with him, and that was on a guitar piece actually uh, by Hans Werner Henze. Mm. And the piece is called Dry Tentos, Three Tentos or Tientos, um, which are basically like these short little pieces. Mm, cool. um, and they come from a larger work that Henze wrote for. Um, Not just guitar, but um, kind of a a fairly large chamber ensemble. But these three pieces were little guitar solos kind of spaced throughout.
0: That's interesting.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. They just really kind of captivated me. They were one of the first, uh, I would say, one of the first atonal pieces Uh that I learned. And so uh, I don't know if it's true of everyone, but the first time I learned an atonal piece, I was just kind of enamored and also very confused. <laughs> Interesting.
0: Well, I feel like a, a lot of people, their first uh, response is sort of rejecting it. Yes. Anger, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Anger
1: at, um, I don't know, just not understanding it, I guess. Right. Um, but um, but yeah, I was really, I, I wanted to know, I wanted to uh-huh. understand. <laughs> so I I kind of stuck with that piece. Actually, you know, it's funny that you ask that because I just brought that piece back um, because it's it's kind of relevant to something that I'm doing right now, which is recording guitar pieces
0: from the mid-20th uh, oh, century. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen some of your posts <laughs> on that. So what is, what is the project?
1: Yeah, the, the project is basically a reason for me to actually learn these pieces. (laughs) Um, Sure. uh, Essentially what I wanted to do um, initially was, was present a group of guitar pieces written in like the 1940s and 50s um, at a museum in, um, in Midland, Michigan, which has a lot of what they call these mid century modern homes. And um, it's kind of an interesting history. Uh, But you might know Dow, Dow Chemical, um, Uh this really big corporation, (laughs) which is, uh, you know, one of their headquarters is in Midland. Mm. Um, But the son, one of the sons of the Dow (laughs) who started that corporation was an architect. And he studied with Frank Lloyd Wright and was very inspired by him. And anyway, there's a lot of these homes in Midland, Michigan, and uh, the home and studio of the architect Dao um, is now a museum. And sometimes they hold concerts there. And so I wanted to do a guitar concert of music mm-hmm. that was written during the the time that all ah, of these homes were built.
0: That's cool. Um,
1: yeah, I thought, it would, I thought it would be really interesting um, and still do. But anyway, uh, that never happened because COVID did happen.
0: Ah, of course, um, right, right, right,
1: But, uh, but I was kind of sitting on these pieces And I Mm -hmm. think they're really cool and really interesting and quite a diverse array of of guitar music. So starting this series was a way for me to work my way through those pieces and really actually Mm -hmm. learn them. And what I'm doing is recording one every week is kind of the idea and then releasing it on on social media. So YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and that sort
0: of thing. That's great. One a week is a lot too.
1: Yeah, it is it's a it lot is. of work. It's, it's more than I expected for some. I don't know why I didn't expect for it to be a lot of work, but um but it's it's good motivation for my practice, right? And um, learning you know, music's right? hard. Yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> it is hard. It is yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. And some of them, I I am truly like learning from scratch, so mm-hmm. that's really tough. And others, I have some familiarity with, so it's a little bit easier. But um, but yeah, getting it up to recording level is a lot
0: of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what what is the what's the repertoire, the, the the mid-century guitar repertoire?
1: Yeah. Well, I tried to be pretty diverse and grab composers from all over mm-hmm. the world right. and in a bunch of different styles. So I kind of have a, a South American group uh, mm-hmm. which includes argentine Mm -hmm. composer um antonio lauro um, right okay excuse me venezuelan composer uh, antonio lauro and he wrote uh, a bunch of these voltses um which oh right uh, yeah yeah very typical yeah you probably have heard them
0: as all i've been like out of the classical guitar world long (laughs) enough that i I, like the repertoire is a little faded for me
1: yeah but it's coming
0: back (laughs) you're helping
1: Cool. <laughs> yeah, the Lauro waltzes are really lovely, very fun. Um, I'm also doing some Heitor Villa Lobos, mm-hmm. uh, so Brazilian composer oh, yeah. there, uh, and uh, doing some Spanish works, more kind of like traditional uh, sounding Spanish stuff with Federico Moreno Toraba, mm-hmm. uh, who's a composer who wrote a lot for Segovia, Andres Segovia. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he has a lot of pieces from this era, 1940s and 50s. And then I am doing uh, a few English pieces or British pieces, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, and uh, these are um, all having to do with Julian Bream, actually, these ah, British okay. pieces. Cool. And this was uh, another area of interest for me when I was a, a doctoral student is um, early Julian Bream repertoire mm-hmm. and kind of like his beginnings and how right. he started off. So, so yeah, I, I learned about some of those early pieces. So Reginald Smith Brindle is mm-hmm. one of these British composers. Um, I just can, I just recorded his
0: nocturne uh-huh. and um, Lennox like A Barclay. lot of nocturnes and bagatelles.
1: Yeah, aren't from there? From
0: <laughs> English composers in that era, right? Like- with those Brits? Yeah, yeah.
1: Noctur- nocturnal.
0: Right, mm-hmm. the Britain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a fun I one. Tells- I liked it. Are you doing that one? I love one? that piece.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I could do snippets of it, but it's right. like a 15-minute long work. Right,
0: I see, I see. And
1: that, that'd be a bit much for my um, mm-hmm. format <laughs> with the series. But I have learned that piece before, and I think it's really awesome. Um, so that, uh, so yeah, Spain, Britain, Venezuela, Brazil, um, Germany, technically. Uh, I mentioned that Hans Werner, Hensa piece. Ah, right, right. So, so that will be in there as well. And I think that's probably about where I'll wrap it up. Um, that's going to be about 10 to 12 installments of, uh, the series. And I feel like that's enough. (laughs) I can probably end it there and maybe move on to something. You could
0: probably do a series for years. Just an unending it's one <laughs> mid-century piece a week. Go all over the world. Go through you know East Asia Korean pieces.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you know Vietnamese you could. Piece. Yeah, right. Obviously, it's a finite list. You know, there's not going to be any new pieces added to right. the mid-century. Right, so you could get through it. List. <laughs> I could finish <laughs> yeah. it eventually, but yeah, I don't.
0: It'd be an interesting thing to be an expert in.
1: <laughs> yeah right and because it is it's probably like hundreds if not thousands of pieces yeah right. for a guitar but anyway yeah but i mean speaking of series though uh for me that this has been like great motivation to practice uh-huh. um it keeps me it, it holds me accountable right guess right. i'm holding myself accountable by by hitting a deadline um how do you feel about your podcast And Uh you as something that sort of, you know, propels you forward.
0: Yeah. I think the, uh, the practice issue is, uh, it's interesting, especially in the last year with COVID about having, having a process and having deadlines and having something to work towards. I think it has been extremely important because it's really easy just to sort of let weeks and weeks go by and really nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with the way a lot of musicians are, I think that's also sort of easy for them to do, mm-hmm. which is weird because as you know, there's sort of the, the, uh, musicians are sort of compelled to play music, but at the same time, I think a lot of musicians have a hard time existing in the, the rigidity of sort of, uh, the world nine to fives Mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, probably if they don't have a lot of deadlines and they don't have gigs and they don't have commissions and things like that, it's hard to maintain a a real schedule of things. Mm -hmm. But something like a podcast or like your series, um, I think is incredibly helpful and has also, I think, pushed me to be better about doing other things. Like I've been practicing guitar more than ever Mm -hmm. also. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm a better guitar player because also there's this weird thing about when you're only practicing and you're only playing for yourself, you lose certain other skills like playing in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll do things like I'll just slap on a Twitch stream while I'm practicing just to like make myself nervous Mm -hmm. to practice that, the the like semi-publicness of it.
1: Right, right.
0: Because I was performing like before, before the pandemic, I was gigging regularly around LA. And so I was mostly like pit orchestras from the musical theater scene. Right. Yeah. But that'd be like six shows a week. Wow. So then like, I was pretty used to it and then just nothing. Yeah. But now even like a Twitch stream, like I get nervous again. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, and I feel the same way because you know, I've done a few live shows in the past, you know, during the pandemic. And of course there were all these live streams, these virtual things, but even so that's, that's a handful, maybe, maybe four since the pandemic started. Um, yeah, four or five maybe. So I'm feeling that too. Uh And then I'm in this weird kind of space now where I'm doing this series. So I, I kind of, um, am preparing not really for a performance i'm preparing for a recording and somehow that that feels different yeah like i'm really trying to be perfect about things um and i know i can do a lot of takes you know yes. so it's right. it's it's a different it's a different kind of uh, mindset i think and mm-hmm. i'm i'm doing it on this micro level where i can really uh be crazy about one piece uh-huh. per week and I don't have to worry about playing a full program of music. Right, you know? right, of course. So it's just, it's very different. And mm-hmm. I, I, would, I think I would feel the same way if suddenly I were doing live shows in front of people. I, right. I, I imagine I would be more nervous than uh-huh. I have been in a year or a couple of years or something like that.
0: Well, yeah. you've done some streams, right? Mm-hmm. And like with your trio, you, you, you all yes. did a stream a month or two months ago? Like yeah,
1: that. yeah, I think our last one was December fourth. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so a couple of months ago, um, but we'll be we'll be doing another one this weekend. uh, nice. uh coming up here Saturday to celebrate our album release or the release of our debut album. Um, but yeah, we we have done live streams. And that's uh, well, that was mainly motivated by uh, our Kickstarter project, which mm. helped fund our album. So promotion for that and right. getting donations and raising money. Um, those were our biggest motivators for actually doing these live streams. Because um, it's a lot harder now since two out of three of us live in Rochester, New York, and I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So yeah. to actually get together... 'Cause we would physically need to be together to do uh-huh. a live stream concert. Um, so it's just harder to do. Right. Um, and I've done I've done one solo live stream,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think. Uh I've done one, <laughs> at least one, <laughs> yeah. uh in September. And I'll do another couple in um the next couple of months here. But um but yeah, that's that's all it's been. I haven't done a, a real live show. Uh-huh since uh, I don't even know if I did one in 2020, honestly, (laughs) (laughs) maybe 2019. It's very crazy. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Do you miss it? Do you miss performing live? I do. I do.
1: Um, like, you know, these recordings are, are nice. It's nice Mm -hmm. to have something logged or concrete that just sort of exists and people can find it and you can, you know, it'll, it'll always be there um but it's it's just all so less satisfying and rewarding um, right and yeah you know uh, i'm being kind of anal about the recordings and really trying mm-hmm. to be perfect but you i'm not worried so much about those sorts of things when i play a live show right, right. and usually those things aren't really noticed, <laughs> um, and a live performance anyway, by most people. Uh, but you get so much more, um, sustenance from, from the people, right. uh, and from their feedback and just from talking to them and interacting with them mm-hmm. that you don't get when you're making recordings right. or when you're doing live streams, it's just silence after every piece. And that's, Maybe you get that's like tough. bubble
0: hearts that come up.
1: Yeah, you might get bubble hearts, or little messages. That's kind of fun. Anyway. That's <laughs> nice in a way, a yeah. little visual kind of thing. But yeah, it's weird to just be kind of in a vacuum sonically, and there's no there's no sound coming back to you. Right.
0: <laughs> it is. It's it's very very weird.
1: Yeah. I Have think you done any, any performing. Uh, you say you do like Twitch for when you practice. Yeah. Have you done any live stream performing? Um,
0: I'm, I mean, I guess I do the improvisations on the podcast. Right. Um, not, not really. I had, I had one gig last, I think it was October. Uh, mm-hmm. it was, um, in, in that period, um, before stuff got more locked down again, it was like, it sort of right. seemed like things were easing just a little. And a, a nursing home hired me to do an outdoor concert Nice. with, um, like, the the people in the nursing home on the balconies, it was oh, just, wow. like, play some solo jazz guitar. Wow. Um, but that was, like, so weird, because I hadn't played live since March. And so I was, like, really, <laughs> really nervous. And so, like, for a week, every night, I just ran ran my set on twitch Uh, (laughs) but uh no it 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 hasn't been it hasn't been a regular thing Mm -hmm. i think i have this problem where i i don't love playing solo anyway Mm -hmm. i prefer playing with other people Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's what the fun of music is to me is the connection with other people and the connection with the audience Mm-hmm. And I think my fa- my favorite part of a concert is after the concert, if you've, like, worked really hard and, like, there's that, like, exhaustion, but at the yeah. same time, like, let's go get a beer. Right. And that's my favorite. Like, the beer after a fun concert. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's everyone's favorite. That's the best right. part.
0: <laughs> yeah. Of course. That, <laughs> yeah, that's, like, just... what it's about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The stress is over mm-hmm. and, you know, you're celebrating. <laughs> and that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How so, how do you yeah, feel something. about that? The uh the the solo performing since since you're a, a, a classical guitar player, I feel like solo performance is a huge piece of the practice. It is.
1: Yeah, I I think both are really great and really wonderful. Um mm-hmm. playing solo and playing with others. Um for me, I, I like to have both of those as kind of part of the musical existence. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um collaborating. I always learn things when I collaborate with other people and I feel like what you create is a it's a little bit different. Um you know there's there's more minds that kind of shape it and right. and bring it to life. And it's um I don't know there's there's almost I think there's theater in any kind of performance and when there's multiple people it's in a way like there's multiple characters rather than just kind of giving a monologue uh when you're doing a solo by yourself so i think it's it's really interesting and and wonderful to play with others Mm -hmm. uh but in terms of playing solo i think what i like about it is the control over so many little details right and i'm finding that I like playing solo pieces that have a lot of depth in those details. Uh huh. Um, so things where, a change, you know, slight changes in dynamics or tone mm-hmm. color and that sort of thing are really important. Yeah. Um, so like playing music by Toru Takamitsu, I really enjoy mm-hmm. because that sort of thing is, is really prominent and, and important. Mm-hmm. in performing that kind of music uh, this Hans Werner Henze piece the uh-huh. Dry Tentos that's, that's really important um, and I think maybe that inherently comes through in these more kind of modern abstract right. tonal pieces where you aren't just hanging on a, a melody uh, for your meaning but there's yeah. all these other details that uh-huh. need to come out um, so I really like working up those kinds of details mm-hmm. and conveying those in a, a solo performance. Um, but I think there's also an intimacy in performing solo where mm-hmm. you get a pretty deep connection with your listeners, yep. or at least that's possible. It doesn't always happen, but you have the potential of a deep connection. Yeah, And um and I, I think that's really, really fantastic as well. So
0: I mean, I think I ag- I agree. I think it's amazing if you can achieve it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I, especially with classical guitar, most of my memories is just being not prepared for masterclass every week. <laughs> and so there's no yeah. real connection happening. It's, it's, <laughs> you're like, when is this going to be over? The audience is like, when is this gonna be over?
1: <laughs> nobody's enjoying this, I'm wasting everyone's time. I need yeah. to get off the stage as soon as possible. <laughs> right.
0: But yeah, I, okay. I, I agree with you. I think it can be very special if you can actually mm-hmm. cultivate it.
1: I think Did, so too.
0: Do you uh, do you feel like theory, your your studying of theory, helps you to build that with uh with solo performance?
1: Mm. Uh, I I think it does. To uh-huh. just give like a general <laughs> answer first, <laughs> well, I, and of course been, that's what no, I sorry. tell all the undergraduates um, that I teach as well. You know, uh-huh. theory is very important um, for all of these reasons. Um, But why? But but why? (laughs) So for me, knowing and understanding theory is kind of revealing or deepening (laughs) meaning in music. So Mm -hmm. kind of understanding it better. For me, that's the point of knowing theory or understanding it is to understand meaning better. Um, So for me, it... I feel like having studied theory and done a bunch of different kinds of analyses that I can um, find what's important about mm-hmm. a piece of music probably faster. You know, right. the longer that mm-hmm. I, I spend <laughs> studying and thinking about these things, I think the faster yeah. I can get to that point with a piece of music. And yes, yeah, I agree. so so yeah, I think that that on on i don't know uncovering the meaning bringing out the meaning <laughs> is the most important part yeah. of uh performing something mm-hmm. because what is performance other than conveying meaning um right so so yeah like if you're gonna play a baroque piece and not understand anything about the harmonic progressions or the use of dissonances or ornamentation, right. then it's probably not going to come across very meaningful. Right. Whereas if you do understand those things, you'll be able to speak that language a lot better. Yep. And your listeners will probably understand that a lot better as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true of, of any genre. <laughs> or yeah. creative Although
0: music. it could also be the quirkiest, most interesting interpretation <laughs> anybody's ever heard
1: yeah it could just be really weird and it might be valuable for that reason <laughs> for its weirdness
0: <laughs> i've been uh i've been thinking a lot about ed cohn's idea of first second and third readings Ooh. You, oh yeah right, right do you know that one yeah yeah I that's have. uh I, Is, so i've been like a brian higher reading i don't maybe? know i mean it could have been it might have been it should have been
1: <laughs> right it's kind of like Reading the mystery novel or something
0: like exactly. that. Exactly. Yep, yeah, yep, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> but, but, but the idea that sort of like theorizing in a Shankarian way is sort of like it's a very second reading thing. So stopping there
2: mm. is
0: a problem because it's, it's taking away the fact that music happens over time. And so mm-hmm. then that third reading is something I've been really trying to get into my practice lately. Wow. About sort of being on top of it and yeah. in it at the same time.
1: Wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So, how do you, how do you, try to occupy both of
0: those spaces at the same time? Uh, it, it it's difficult. Uh, I find that. I mean, I can't truly multitask. But if right. I can sort of move seamlessly between, like, like um, the one I've been I've been revisiting is the Villa Lobos, uh, Choros number one, right? Mm the cool the first one in the book <laughs> yeah <laughs> right <laughs> but like but hearing the suspensions and resolutions and like yeah. knowing that they're suspensions and resolutions but then having that inform uh sort of the meaning and the mm-hmm. idea that sort of the first time as it's going through the progression it it has all these suspensions and like funny chords. And then it winds up finally at the end in just like a beautiful E minor with the harmonics Right. and this, it's sort of like that mystery novel thing. Like you're trying to get there and trying Mm -hmm. to get there. And so it's a story told through theory, I guess.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like there's many attempts to get there and, you know, to understand the failed attempts leading up to, the successful yep. one at the end, yeah. Yeah. And
0: I feel like the failed attempts thing is a little cliche, but sure. but I guess it doesn't matter. I feel like what you're thinking in your head can be really stupid and simple because nobody knows that. They're just hearing sounds. And the sounds are already <laughs> elevating it to an abstract space anyway. So Yeah, totally true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the the Schenker part is interesting too. Have you have you been hmm. following any of the uh the, the Schenker controversy that's
1: going around? I have not. I have oh, not. Okay. I have um, not been keeping up with my, uh, my Schenkerian um,
0: gossip. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so fill me in what's going on. I
0: think there's a big movement against Schenkerian analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's sort of two sides to it. There's one side that Schenker himself uh, is sort of a, a problematic figure in history uh, given sort of his own political and social views and then mm. sort of what he represented in terms of sort of the assertion of music theory over acad- over the academic world um, mm. suggesting that like the theory of Bach is music theory mm. and that's the standard and that's what all theory is or something like
1: that. Right, right.
0: Um, but then I think there's also a secondary argument that reductionist music theory is sort of missing the point of most music mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah well i mean my opinion of of shinkarian analysis is that it it shows some really interesting concepts for yeah. understanding music yeah and those concepts work really well for certain kinds of music yeah. um but i don't right. think you can say that they work for all kinds of music of course <laughs> um right. you know i guess they probably work best for bach and to I mean, they work extent, perfectly Beethoven. for
0: Bach, right? Right.
1: That's that's what <laughs> modeled after, right? <laughs> um, and they kind of work for Beethoven, but after that, you know, not right. not so good. Hard yep. to do Schenkerian with uh, Debussy. Some people try, um, or right. you know, George Crumb probably really hard to do Schenkerian <laughs> analysis.
0: It'd be amazing if it happened to work out <laughs> perfectly for George Crumb. Also. I would be impressed. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but I think. Uh, So this semester I'm teaching a musical analysis course, Uh and it's a lot of fun, but um, it's for undergraduates. So I've mentioned Schenker's name, and I've maybe shown one of his graphs once, but Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to teach that to them. Some similar concepts I am trying to teach, like longer term melodic connections um, and kind of some underlying uh, harmonic implications throughout right. your melody, that sort of thing. Um, but, I mean, Schenker is, like, it's very, very complex and detailed. And after spending a full semester studying it with Brian Heyer, who mm-hmm. is an expert, I was maybe just starting to get the hang of it. Uh-huh. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, like, a very specialist kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't know how useful that is for everyone else. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it, it shows some really cool concepts for yep. understanding music and analyzing music, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly not, you know, a religion that we need to <laughs> all subscribe to.
0: <laughs> well, were you a TA for Brian Heyer also? I was. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, so you know, you know his undergraduate course also.
1: Yes, I do. His okay. freshman theory course. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I, so I, so I took I've that. I've taken it three times. Oh, yeah. so you really know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was a T- TA for that course
0: three years in a row. That is yeah. crazy. So you could teach it.
1: Um, I, You know, like, it's funny because I, I spent maybe four years not teaching freshman theory mm-hmm. when I was doing my doctorate. And then this past year I did teach freshman theory and I was amazed by just how much of that, um, came back to me yeah. that first year of theory with Brian Heyer. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's rich, it's rich. Yep. Um, and I think it's something, uh, if you still have the course materials and you
0: like, go back and, and kind of re I do, and, I, mm-hmm. I, I revisit mm-hmm. the species counterpoint manual a lot, actually. he would be be happy to hear that. And yeah, it's
1: just, it's, it's pretty amazing. And he, uh, he clearly put a lot of effort into, into Mm -hmm. building that curriculum over many years and reshaping it and tweaking it. And it's, it is very, it's very rich. There's nothing there that doesn't have a purpose, (laughs) which is amazing.
0: (laughs) But I feel like it's broadly very Shankarian in, Mm -hmm. in concept. It's, it's interesting that now you're you're teaching a music analysis <laughs> class yourself. Do, do you have a some kind of broad uh, concept or mm, goal in mind with, uh, with how you're trying to help people think about music?
1: Yeah, yeah. For me and for my students um, uh-huh. at this particular college, my goal for this analysis course is basically showing them some interesting ways to look at music, Uh give them a variety of ways to to look at it um, and not, not do anything like really profound (laughs) um, (laughs) other than, you know, show some ways to kind of understand music better, which I Uh guess is profound in itself. Um, But, you know, most of them, will be music educators in the Mm -hmm. sense that they'll be teaching like K-12 music. Um, So I don't think they need to go very far down the rabbit hole of different methods of analysis. Mm -hmm. Um, But talking about how you can analyze melody or um, understand the use of motivic material or understand some like rhythmic construction and rhythmic modes of analysis and understanding some forms and how that structures music um like getting a taste of each of those right is um is what i'm trying to do with this class this Mm -hmm. semester cool yeah
0: is it for music majors
1: it is it's for music majors and um yeah, again, most of them are music education majors, so their goal mm, okay. is to be teaching music in schools, um, and then maybe a couple performance majors in mm-hmm. there as well, and then once in a while, um, a kid will want to go on to graduate school <laughs> uh, but, um, for music, but uh-huh. uh, for the most part, this is kind of the end of the road mm-hmm. for them in music theory, so yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Are you teaching guitar also?
1: I am, Um, I am teaching applied lessons um, Mm -hmm. at this school, Saginaw Valley State University, which is in Saginaw, Michigan, and um, uh, a little bit there, most of my guitar teaching is with my private students, so I've got right now 10 to 12 um, students in, I guess you could say, my private studio, Mm -hmm. Um, and all of those are Zoom lessons. How how
0: has that been? <laughs> how do you feel about teaching over Zoom?
1: Man. Um,
0: I actually like it, by the way. That, yeah, that's why I'm okay. asking. Because it it's sounds discreet. like a boring question.
1: but Right, right. <laughs> you know, I think at first I'll walk you through. Uh, at first, uh-huh. I was grateful for it because it right. meant I could keep my yeah. students. Right, of course. So I was very grateful for that. Um, and then I thought, you know, this is kind of efficient because I don't have to go anywhere i don't oh have my to commute god. anymore <laughs> I, I can just kind of i can kind of you know do them back to back mm-hmm. and that's kind of nice um but then i really did them back to back and i found that oh my god my eyes are killing me after ah, three yeah, hours right. of zoom lessons mm-hmm. um because you're you're staring at the screen and you're, you're squinting <laughs> and seeing like where are they putting their fingers yes. yep, are they yep. using the correct fingers um And so I think it's harder on your senses, Mm -hmm. harder on your eyes and harder on your ears because uh, for most students, especially if they're kids, they don't have nice audio equipment. They're just Mm -hmm. using whatever microphones on their laptop. So it doesn't sound very good. And usually there's extra kind of noise mixed in with that. So you're having to listen harder. Yeah. Um, and then you don't get like the endorphin boost of physically working with someone yes I think you know mm-hmm. that's there's there's a difference between seeing their face on yep. the screen and being in a room with them so I found it draining more draining mm, yeah than than working in person um I've gotten used to it you know going on about a year now of doing right. it which is crazy but um, yeah, I've got you know two monitors now, which makes life a lot easier. Mm. Um, and then I, a USB microphone, and so so I've made improvements that makes it easier for me. Um, but if I if I have to teach like three hours of Zoom lessons in a row, I definitely am feeling it. Right. Um, and yep. it's not a good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah. overall, I think it's I think you can still teach well, Uh um, and students still make progress and it is convenient, which is nice. Why do you like
0: it? (laughs) I, uh, I, I think my students have made more progress Hmm. over zoom because I think I have a bad habit as a teacher of trying to help the students feel good about what they're playing. So accompanying them a lot to the Mm -hmm. point of sort of trying to elevate their playing Mm -hmm. Um, but sort of covering over a lot of the inconsistencies and sloppiness. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not, if I'm on Zoom, I can't play with them. And so Mm -hmm. then they're forced to face what they can and can't play. Right. But I think the other problem is, especially something really delicate like classical guitar, getting into nuances over Zoom with with poor audio, I think mm -hmm. is probably almost impossible. It's
1: really hard. It's yeah. really hard. Yeah, to talk about you know dynamic subtleties mm-hmm. or you know could you play that more O-U-R? oh you are right exactly oh you are all right it's 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 hard to hear those subtleties yeah but but yeah I mean playing with students that's the biggest void I think because of Zoom is not being able to do that yeah that's tough yeah that's tough um, but you know like you said it can be a crutch maybe mm-hmm. for students to cover up their mistakes. Yeah, exactly. or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
0: <laughs>
1: but I think it's also, it also helps them to feel how it should go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to convey that over zoom, yep. but that's all right. You know, yeah. we do what we can.
0: <laughs> so your trio has a new yeah. album coming out. Right,
1: we do. Yeah, yeah. Our first album. Yeah, yeah. A new ah, okay, our yeah. first one debut. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's um coming out this Saturday, March thirteenth. Okay. And um, we've been. And working it's a physical it a CD, year. right? It's a physical CD. That's amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We we printed them. We've got them. It's also of course available digitally. Yeah. Um, so people are able to download it digitally. You'll be able to stream it pretty mm-hmm. much anywhere you might stream things starting on Saturday
2: mm-hmm.
1: on March 13th. Um, but yeah, we uh, we wanted to have a physical album yeah. um, for a couple of reasons. One is just, I don't know, the idea of one is, I think, something maybe... Yeah. Uh, maybe romanticized perhaps uh for for people of our age and older you know you want to have like a physical Mm -hmm. thing but we knew we wanted some album artwork so we had um, a local Rochester artist make something for us and we really love it Uh, but we wanted to have a physical print of that so, um, that was part of it. And then we, we wanted to have something to sell after shows, just kind of like a practical sort of thing. Um, and because we know that, uh, that that's a helpful thing to have. Um, so, so we wanted, we wanted to, uh, to have that physical CD for, for those purposes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you have so, shows yeah.
0: planned? Is there, a, is there a, a tour to accompany the album?
1: Um, not at the moment. No, there is no tour. We're going to have a big album release concert, which will be live streamed. Okay. Um, but it'll be pretty special as far as live stream concerts go. We'll be doing it at Bop Shop Records in Rochester, New York, and they have a a really nice setup. Mm -hmm. Um, where they can do, um, high fidelity, stereo audio, oh, great. and they have, you know, multiple camera angles. <laughs> uh, so I think it'll be a pretty nice production. Um, and that, that live concert will be 8 PM, March 13th. So the day of the, the release, mm-hmm. so it'll be a, a fun celebration. And then, um, eventually, you know, we'll do a, a tour. Part of our, part of our Kickstarter rewards, mm-hmm. um, you can offer rewards on Kickstarter for different levels of pledges, mm-hmm. um, and for the higher levels, we offered private concerts. <laughs> so oh wow! concerts, yeah, and we had surprisingly a few people take us up on that. So we owe concerts in Michigan in a couple of places and possibly in in
0: Rochester, New York as well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So would it be concerts for one one person and
1: well, it can be for whatever they want it to be. Right, they can right. invite whoever they want to. We, yeah. We'll we'll play for them and um, we'll do it wherever they want. Um, so in my mind that could be a house concert which right. could be kind of fun in mm-hmm. someone's living room, which would be nice and intimate, or if they want to make it a bigger thing then we could maybe do like a church or something right, like right, that right. rent out some space and do a, a larger scale concert um and we were in talks of playing on a couple different festivals mm. uh, which were put on hold of right, course right, right um but yeah once we're able to i think we'll we'll try to hit the ground running and, uh-huh. and make some concerts happen because well uh-huh. all of us really want to do that
0: yeah right yeah that's cool so did the trio it started uh, in rochester right eastman
1: it did yeah all three of us were eastman doctoral students of guitar at the same time uh-huh. um you know a slight dispersion of years um mm-hmm. one was uh going was finishing as we were starting but um But yeah, that was kind of the the common connection is that we were all doing our doctorates at Eastman. (laughs) And um, I was doing uh, some duos, some guitar duos with Bernardo, one of the Mm -hmm. other guys in the trio. And then Ken, the the third of our trio, uh, asked if we would all play on this benefit concert Mm -hmm. for um, refugees in Rochester, New York. And so we found some trio rep and played that concert and had a really, just really, really positive reception. Mm-hmm. You know, people were very thankful and really loved it. And we actually you know, got asked to play a concert the next day after that first concert. Oh, great. Um, so, So we had some momentum going and mm-hmm. we decided to keep at it. And it ended up being a really... Nice thing for all three of us. Um, mm-hmm. All three of us have made our own arrangements, so taking music right. not for three guitars and put it on three guitars. Um, right. Oh, you played
0: the the Stravinsky. Was it the tango at the is. your concert? Yeah, I loved yep. that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very that's such cool a cool piece. piece. Yep. Yeah. So that's uh, a piano piece originally, right. and um, Ken arranged that for three guitars. And yeah, some things just work really well on three guitars. And that's kind of like <laughs> what we experiment and and eventually find and, and and hold on to those pieces because they're mm-hmm. they're really special. Um but yeah, Stravinsky, Mozart, uh-huh. um, and what else have we arranged? Philip Glass. <laughs> so mm-hmm. some minimalism, which works very, very well I bet. actually. Yeah. 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 The, I think the plucking of a guitar mm-hmm. works quite well with the sort of pulsing effect
0: mm-hmm.
1: of, um, of Glass's music. And, um, and yeah, we've kind of sprinkled in some works for three guitars, you know, intentionally, uh, mm-hmm. written for three guitars into our repertoire as well. And, um, it's, it's kind of a mix.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, so yeah, uh, It's been nice for us because we get to kind of do those projects where we make Uh these arrangements um, and come together and kind of learn from each other as we're interpreting them and and bringing them to life and tweaking them and all of that. Um, And it's just, it's been a lot of fun. And that's probably the most important
0: part. That's great. Yeah. I think what's also really cool about it is I get the sense that a lot of doctoral programs or at least... uh, students at the doctoral level are less integrated into the community of the music school they're a part of. So I think Mm. it's really cool to have three doctoral students coming together and doing a project like that. Yeah, Because I I feel like it Mm. happens at the undergraduate and master's level a lot. But Mm. a lot of times students, by the time they're at the doctoral level, that a lot of them have families, a lot of them live off campus even, and they kind of have a, a life that is separate from the rest of the music school that's,
1: I think that's quite true. And yeah, the, the community aspect of it was definitely a really valuable one for the three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, we, we became really good friends in, in this process and um, and we definitely value that a lot. Um, but, you know, beyond our community of friendship, <laughs> we also uh, were, engaging with our community around us in ways that we probably wouldn't have done if we were just playing solo concerts Mm -hmm. um, because we were, you know, traveling around. Uh, Ken, one of the other trio members, Ken Luke, teaches at a few universities in the area. So we would go and do concerts at these schools Mm. um, and, you know, different places around upstate New York. And once we're able to, I'll bring them out here to Michigan and we'll do the same thing out here. But it's a it's a really nice way of kind of um, engaging and creating a community Mm -hmm. around our concerts and around our music and sort of bringing together these different communities. Um, Guitar societies are. are, uh, are an important thing <laughs> if you're a classical guitarist, especially, but Rochester has a, a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a couple really good ones here in Michigan and we're starting to, you know, get overlap between them. Oh, so great. Cross pollination <laughs> because we're each involved with yeah. them and, and we're doing these concerts and they're, they're learning about us. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice thing.
0: Yeah. It's also great to hear that that you guys are going and playing outside of academic spaces.
1: Definitely.
0: Yeah. I think there's there's a real problem. There's a disconnect um, that's sort of built into the fact that music exists in academia now,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: in that academia sort of inherently exists separately from society, and then all of this (laughs) music happens in, in mm-hmm. the world that has nothing to do with academic music, pop music, rock. Yeah. It used to be jazz. Now jazz is basically academic <laughs> music, right? But, uh... Yeah, right, right. But yeah, uh...
1: yeah, it's it's a it's a funny thing. Um, academia's relevance and you know how does it fit in with community? Um, you know, I think in in its defense, I think a lot uh-huh. of universities are making an effort to be oh, yeah. more, um, present in their communities and their yep. surrounding communities. And I think, uh, you especially see this with music programs and music students, mm-hmm. um, because you'll see a, a lot of community music schools, which are associated with universities. Mm. UW-Madison had one, Eastman School mm-hmm. of Music has one, um, and you know their whole purpose is to bring in community members right. and have them uh, study mostly with students of the those music schools, um, and so I I think it's academia is becoming a little a little less isolated or stratified in that right. sense, um, but you are correct in that it's. Um, it's it's an issue, I think, of um, accessibility in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Uh, right. You know, like you said, there's kind of music which exists in academia and then there's everything else. And when right. you're in school, you study that academic music <laughs> and you yep. play that academic music. And then uh, it can be a little weird when you kind of go out in the community and only play that academic music, right. Cause it can kind of be that barrier. Um, you know, like you understand it cause you've been studying it, right? but most other people don't understand. It's kind of like a foreign right. language. So that's, that's a, an area mm-hmm. I think academics or, you know, at least students right. of music need to navigate. Um, and I think there's lots of ways to do it you can kind yeah. of bring in little bits of, of right. unfamiliar things and sprinkle in your, I don't yeah. know, your laro waltzes in there to something yeah. a little more popular and accessible. Yeah. I don't know. What's yeah. your take? I,
0: I, don't, I don't know how much I think it has to do with accessibility. I, I think there's a lot of very challenging and strange music out there that is very popular. I see academic music as being, whatever that means, I see music that is created within brick walls of universities Mm -hmm. uh, as being um, very resistant to the show business side of Mm. things. The fact that um, if if you go to uh, an underground DJ concert and they're just making these crazy noises and everybody's ears are bleeding... (laughs) <laughs> uh, they're, I mean, that's really challenging and aggressive and whatever, right. but they're, they're also putting on a show. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I've noticed it a lot with classical guitar, but I think it happens in a lot of with a lot of classical performers is they're so focused on sort of the music that they're not thinking about the fact that they are sort of also acting as an entertainer. Mm. hmm. Um, because most people don't want to sit and listen to a dissertation on a guitar.
1: Can't blame them for that. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> All right.
1: Yeah. True. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like, that's one of the many, many things that you don't really learn in right. school, mm-hmm. which are really important. Um, you know, how to right. be an entertainer. Mm-hmm. Even when you're presenting classical music, yeah. of course, that's important because that helps you connect your
0: message to your audience. You
1: know, that's exactly that's very important.
0: I think it sounds sort of cheap, but I mm-hmm. don't think it is I th- because it's like what you're saying. It's, it's about the connection with your audience. And I think mm-hmm. even crafting a lecture or something like that, mm-hmm. if you think it out and you think about how you're going to convey it, that's important. And that's also a performance in a way. And really talented lecturers are really good at communicating ideas to their students for that reason. And I think they take the performance aspect seriously. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't doesn't have to be a laser show and everything. Right. Although it could be. That's cool.
1: I would go see that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What about your trio? Should they have a laser show?
1: We would love a laser show. Absolutely, <laughs> you know. As soon as we can get one. Basically. Yep.
0: Um, right. Well, yeah. people got to yeah, get we... on the Kickstarter. What's that? People got to get on the Kickstarter.
1: <laughs> That's our next Kickstarter project is yeah. lasers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I mean the trio definitely has fun when we put on a That's concert. Great. Um and I think people like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause cause it keeps it um it keeps it fun for them, I think. Right. You know, we're up there laughing at each other and that encourages the mm-hmm. audience to join in. <laughs> yeah. Um and then yeah, we play we play a mix, quite a wide mix of music. Mm-hmm. Some of it's um folk based in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh and I think really familiar sounding. the audience even if they haven't heard that particular piece before um and then you know just kind of across the spectrum too the philip glass has been interesting because that almost always gets interesting reactions from the audience they usually comment on that negative
0: Um, no positives okay (laughs) okay okay
1: (laughs) um usually when you said
0: interesting i wasn't sure where (laughs)
1: Well, interesting. Interesting for me, but positive. Oh, okay, I see. I see. Uh, I was
0: gonna say I can't imagine people not liking Philip Glass. Right.
1: Yeah, it doesn't sound, you know, bad. It's not, yeah. it's not Richard <laughs> it ears. Yeah, not um, like that.
0: Stravinsky sounds terrible. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible in like a really fun way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, we we try to 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 present. A wide variety of mm-hmm. things and just kind of have fun doing it. And, um, I don't know, it's, it's worked for us so far. We've been very, very, uh, happy and uh-huh. grateful for all of the support we've received so far. Like our, our Kickstarter far exceeded our expectations. Great. Cool. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's just been, it's been really nice people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, support uh maybe the community part of it is Mm -hmm. is something that they're recognizing they're saying like oh that they're doing something that's in ways helping everyone around them and that's really nice i don't know yeah i
0: think um, it's important Mm -hmm. i think it's like a it's like a comedian like Hmm. an audience will pick up in two seconds if a comedian doesn't think what they're saying is funny
1: right yeah, exactly. Right. You right. gotta be committed to what you're doing
0: and what you're right. presenting. Or or if you see a band, you, you wanna believe they're all best buddies. Right. That's true. It's, it's not fun if you think they don't like each other. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You wanna you wanna like see the friendship in the community because that's what you wanna be part of. Yeah, you don't want to be uh, yes. part of a dysfunctional relationship. <laughs> <laughs> or if that you do, that's good.
0: maybe you have some issues. There's on, some other problems own. there. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, do you, do you want to try playing something? I would. Yeah, awesome. so that'd be cool. Sweet. Um, yes. did, any any instrument is fine. I thought I thought okay. I'd go classical. Yeah,
1: I think classical mm-hmm. is is great. We'll relive those uh, Madison days.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did we play, we played Bio de We did, yeah.
1: You know, it's funny because my trio now plays that piece as well. Oh, sweet. Yep. It's actually
0: on our album. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I'm excited about that.
1: Yeah. But yeah, you brought that piece to us. Right, yo, because I
0: played it with uh, Chris Allen. Oh, really? My my first Mm. semester there. Wow. Okay. Chris Allen and maybe Miles or AJ. I don't, I don't, I don't remember who the the third was in the group. But yeah, I, I always liked it.
1: Yeah, it's a cool piece.
0: It's It's really fun. Yeah, exactly. All those tritones. It's great.
1: Yeah, it's just nothing but lots of tritones at the beginning yeah <laughs> anyway
0: all right sweet yeah i mean this this has been as weird as just like scratch scratches to like the last oh, one i did right. was like a blues jam so it could <laughs> be anything
1: yeah that remi- i wanted to have some options here so let's just maybe grab a pick. yeah unfortunately i don't think i have any slides oh. at the house here with me because i definitely would have uh would have done some of that.
0: <laughs> ah. Yeah, let's see see how it goes. Cool.
2: you.
1: What do you very, think? Uh, very atmospheric. Yeah.
0: I, say. Yeah. I, think, it, I think it worked. <laughs>
1: I think so. That's yeah.
0: that's something. <laughs> I like how it cool. it, it went. Uh, I don't know. It it went uh, like fourths and and semi bluesy tonal yeah. <laughs> something. It was cool. That was like out of nowhere. That was a good decision. I liked it. I like you know, that.
1: But. Yeah. Well, I figure you know. It's a very guitaristic yeah. thing. Is the fourth, yep. so mm-hmm. let's lean into that. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like, like uh, an avant-garde western film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. That, I think that sounds right.
1: Yeah, that's cool.
0: Nice, <sighs> sweet. Yeah, that's well, good. Well, uh, right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for talking to me today. Is uh, is the, is there anything yeah. else you wanted to, uh, wanted that I didn't hit that, that you wanted to talk no. about that you're up to or anything ideas um, you've had
1: i feel i feel like we hit the the big things talked <laughs> about the, the album the concert yeah the series thing and you know i think i think it was good you know i yeah. wasn't I wasn't worried about an outline i thought like the conversation was uh pretty good pretty natural sweet flowed well so yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i think so cool Thank you so much. This was yeah. uh, this was cool.
0: Thanks for doing it. I I really appreciate it. It was it was fun to get to to talk to you about the the stuff you're working on and your thoughts on music and then right. play a little bit. It's cool.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. Right. And yeah. yeah, I feel like any of these topics we could just keep talking endlessly. Which <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. I really I, I find that
0: when you get into a good topic, it's like <sighs> then you need then you need two two three beers and then yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a good idea. Yeah. yeah
1: right. <laughs> anyway, but no, it was great. Good, uh, good to see you and talk to you again, Anthony. Yeah. You and, too. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, cool.
0: All right. Thanks for listening or watching, depending on if you are watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast stream. Please remember to check out Eric Gibley and his trio, Trio Ghidorah. Their album, Dances and Fantasies, is out now, both available on CD and wherever you listen to your music via streaming. And also remember to like, leave a comment, and subscribe to my channels. And if you would like to consider supporting my content, please visit my Patreon page. Thanks. Bye.